It's Earth Day, and so we've invited Paul Delaney, our space expert and emeritus professor of uh, physics and astronomy at York University, onto the show to talk about something off the planet for a change here. Uh, but it's it's in the solar system. Uh, Paul, welcome to the show. Hi there, Kelly. Uh, the $10 billion James Webb Space Telescope. Apparently the mirrors are cooling to deep space temperatures. Just how cold is that, and what's the significance of this? Well, we're talking about minus 225 Celsius, give or take. And the reason we need this telescope at those temperatures is that it looks for what we call infrared radiation. Your eye normally is looking at you know the red through blue, the colors of the rainbow. But when you feel heat, that's infrared radiation. That's the type of radiation this telescope is going to be detecting. And as you can well imagine, if we're talking about receiving such weak infrared radiation from 13 and a half billion years ago, the telescope has to be super sensitive. And that means really nice and cold so that it's not detecting local heat sources that would sort of mess up the information. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a lot closer to the sun than we are. So um, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, but if, if it is, then what's how do you cool it down? Right. So two things. One, it's further from the sun than us by about okay. one and a half million kilometers. But we have this big tennis court sized sunshade. Imagine your umbrella on the back deck, but much bigger than that in five definitive layers. And so there is this huge sun shield that is protecting the telescope. So the telescope actually is continually in shade. It's in shadow. It's not receiving any radiation from the sun. It's really cooling down to almost the background level of temperature in our solar system in the absence of direct sunlight. Right. So it's not the telescope isn't seeing things the way our eyes would. It's seeing things in a different way and it's being translated so that we can uh, visually uh, observe what it sees. Perfect. That's exactly right. The information. Oh, my gosh. At least I got something, Paul. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, Yeah. When you see images and you will see lots of images, we've already seen some stars and some galaxies. Those images are tweaked, if you will, false color to give you a representation that you and I would recognize. But remember, the detail that it's getting, that's accurate. So the fine detail that we see in galaxy structures and what we're going to see in exoplanetary atmospheres, that's real. It's just at a wavelength that your eye is not sensitive to. But all that information translates into an understanding of the physics of those particular objects. And from an astronomical point of view, that's what counts. Last time we spoke, Paul, I believe we had a test photo that came back from the James Webb uh, telescope. When are we going to start to actually see uh, the telescope functioning? Less than two months from now. Uh, So the telescope's instruments, they've cooled to the correct temperature. They're already down in the deep freeze region. The mirrors are continuing to cool. And I know it sounds as if it's taking a long time, and it is. That's basically because of the type of material. It's beryllium with gold coating. And those, uh, that material has a really slow, if you will, heat decay curve. It's going to be at the right temperature in probably the next two to three weeks. And then we will finish the fine tuning of the guidance, uh, sorry, not guidance, the fine tuning of the focusing process that we've been going through. And then in June, we'll start collecting data through those mirrors into the instruments, we should see our first science images in early July. Whenever somebody says data, I immediately think of Star Trek. And so here's a story (laughs) where life imitates Star Trek. NASA 
has confirmed that a doctor has heliported to the International Space Station. It happened last October. Walk us through what what actually happened. Yeah, neat story this one. That that's for sure. Uh, so uh, we've we've been developing for years now the notion of. Uh, telepresence, that is to say the ability of a surgeon to be able to remotely manipulate tools and so on for uh, you know, distant operations and so on when you can't get to remote locations. Well, NASA has taken it a step further and has now utilized the, uh, its ability to sort of transmit an image that can interact with the astronauts on board the International Space Station. So we're not talking about you know, real people being teleported there, but as you said, holoported. I've never even heard of that term until I read it today. Uh, but basically, it was a real-life uh, doctor who was standing there interacting with the the patient and then presumably prescribing whatever the medical diagnosis needed to be. It's so it's like he's step. he's like the version of the holodeck. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, you know, what was the doctor's name in Voyager? He never actually got a name. Uh, but that's the, the the equivalent of what has been attempted by mm. NASA, except that you can't touch it. You know, the doctor in Voyager, you could actually physically touch and interact with in a physical sense. You couldn't do this with the hollow porting of our doctor up to the International Space Station. But as you, as an, for you as a patient to actually have the doctor seemingly in yeah. front of you and responding to you in real time must give you some measure of reassurance as far as a patient is concerned. And of course, because of all of the ability of cameras and so on, the doctor is actually seeing the patient uh, and responding to his commentary as well. So it really is a big step forward as far as medicine in space is concerned. I can't be the only one that if I put myself in that position, I would, uh, you know, find myself uh, imagining uh, having urges of like walking through the doctor just for kicks. (laughs) <laughs> Why not? Absolutely. But it's another great example of how science fiction, and particularly Star Trek, has pushed innovations forward so that yep. you know, fact is now mimicking fiction. It's amazing. Let's talk very quickly about this. I don't have a lot of time for this story, but they, you know, we, I, I vaguely recall we were talking about a fire, or at least a fire alarm going off at the International Space Station a while ago, and it was when they were changing batteries or something. Uh, but it was a terrifying story because you don't know what's going wrong. Um, and you're up in space at the mercy of, you know, no gravity. There you are. Uh, the space station is starting to experiment with the mysteries of fire. <laughs> that seems like a, well, that seems like not the wisest thing to do, but w- what's going on? Okay, so we've been actually experimenting with fires and real fires in space for about 15 years. It started off with the Mir space station with the, uh, the Russians and has progressed through actually setting capsules alight as they're coming back into the Earth's atmosphere. Understanding how fire operates in zero gravity is really important to prevent fire from happening in zero gravity. And so NASA and their partners are taking the next steps and they're doing controlled experiments, very, very isolated, very controlled experiments to understand how flames propagate, how they develop and propagate in zero gravity in the absence of the gravitational field. And that, of course, is important for you know, the safety of all astronauts as well as all facilities in space. But it also has direct applications here on Earth. To be able to understand how fire is forming in the absence of gravity allows us actually to uh, be able to create those flames in a more efficient fashion here on the surface of the Earth. So it's a really neat story for both protection in space and benefits here on Earth.
Yeah, it's an interesting story, too, because even though I said it, it sounds dangerous and it sounds like it could be counterintuitive, the danger is in not understanding things. You got it. That's when you understand exactly right. how things work, then you can um, plan but ahead and you, yeah, right. you can, yeah, you can act if something goes awry. Paul, I always love having you on the show. Thank you very much for joining us today. Have a great Friday, Kelly. You have a great weekend. Paul Delaney is space expert and emeritus professor of physics and astronomy at York University.